0: Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramly John. Hey everyone, in this episode, I have somebody that Forbes Magazine has called one of the 12 innovative founders to watch and learn from 2017. You've probably seen one of his LinkedIn posts, those poetic long LinkedIn posts about his story. Today we have Josh Fector. He's the co-founder of Badass Marketers and Founders Agency. And he's also one of the person who manages that Facebook group. It's probably one of the biggest and most active Facebook group, which gave him the opportunity to meet the Zuckerberg himself. Come on, that's awesome. In this episode, you can learn how Josh started and grew the Banff community from zero to 15,000 members. He's going to share the secrets that he was able to grow that community and how he tapped into that to continue to grow his agency. Now, if you want the high level outline and quotes from this episode, you can go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 016. That's growthmarketing.today forward slash 016. I don't want to hold you back anywhere from this great episode. Here's my chat with Josh. Hey, everyone. I have here Josh. I'm so excited. This is the first time I'm doing a Hangout podcast. How's it going, Josh? How are things over there in Santa Monica?
1: Dude, life is good. No complaints. You know, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And that's why I moved here, so I never have to go on vacation.
0: (laughs) That's, That's like the dream of every person is like work doesn't feel like job, right? It feels good.
1: A hundred percent. Like I I used to work in San Francisco and it's a city that's seven by seven miles. And I would be there for six months and realize I'd never left.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny, man. Hey, before we get started talking about like growth and your growth process at Banff and all the other startups you worked out in San Francisco, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your career journey so far. I know I was reading up on it, man. It's super interesting.
1: Oh man. So Yeah, my career journey has definitely been... It feels like a long one. I mean, it's really only been 5 years, but I've worked or founded at least 10 startups, which is just crazy in the amount of time. And part of it is that I've never go the corporate route. That even when I had like pennies to my name, I still stuck it out in startup life. I would never make it in corporate life. I would get fired like day one. I would say after college, I immediately uh, founded my, founded a company. And before that I had interned for a couple of startups that failed. And my idea was, you know, screw these guys. I'm going to do it on my own and be successful. And then my startup failed too. (laughs) Right. Then, uh, became the VP of marketing for another startup that failed up in the Bay area. That was really rough. We had no product market fit. We, I knew nothing about mobile apps, but mobile apps were like the big thing back then. I mean, investors just tossing money back and forth and then didn't really know what to do with my life. So I worked as a copywriter for around 10 months, got paid literally nothing (laughs) and living with my dad and just trying to figure out like how to get out of this really horrible situation. So I was just reading a lot of books on self-development and writing like hundreds of articles online. And eventually I applied for this company. I was doing some Facebook software stuff. Uh, they're actually the first company to do live streaming on Facebook. And when I hopped on, um, they were actually going to pay me less than my horrible job that I already had. So, <laughs> But I, all I knew is that I needed skills that people would pay me for. And people tend to pay you a lot for you know more technical knowledge than mm. copywriting. So I said, okay, well, screw this copywriting job. Let's see if this technical knowledge will give me a pay raise. And then within around six months, I had several clients who were paying me it was just like, they're paying me around $50 an hour. And I was used to making like $10 an hour. Right. And I was just like, Whoa, like this changed so fast. And because they want to know how to use Facebook and whatever, um, was on the platform in terms of features and I could help them with that. And that was sort of like the launch of when I realized I'm like, man, I can do this. Like it may be startup life, but I can make it happen.
0: Nice. I, I like how real your story is. And, like how much failure and like trying again, is such a big part of your career journey so far, right?
1: Yeah, and people don't really understand because when they think of failure, they tend to think of people in Silicon Valley who fail, right? And if you're outside of Silicon Valley, you're gonna fail way more trying to raise to the top. And one of the reasons for that is you have lack of capital, you have lack of mentors, you have no resources you can depend on. I mean, there must've been like two software companies in San Diego, my hometown, when I got that job at that Facebook software company and in San Francisco, you walk down a block and you'll pass like 10 software companies. So when people are like, Oh, I failed because my investor gave me a lot of money. And then I tried again, another investor gave me money. I'm like, I laugh at that. I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that you could get money from investors. In San Diego. Like, I didn't even know that was possible. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Let me talk about your what you study. I know I looked up your profile. You studied economics, political science. How how did that help you get to where you're at? And from what I understand, you didn't end up continuing
1: that. Oh man! So I got a really funny story. I when I was studying political science, I actually led the chapter. It's called Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, As big organization, started on San Diego State's campus. And during that time, I was also I founded my startup and. I wanted to actually work in politics for a very long time, but I thought my startup was taking off. We had a ton of content going out. We had around 24,000 visitors a day. It was an online lifestyle publication. Problem is we couldn't figure out how to make any money. But, you know, while the hype was going on, (laughs) I actually got offered a job to work for the organization. And I basically told this person, I said, I'm like, why would I want to work for you? I'm about to become a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) And like, and three months later, we had no money and like, Everything just fell apart. <laughs> <That's so laughs> I was just felt so awful about it. I was like, "Wow, I had that job that I really wanted, and I let it go because I literally, <laughs> I, I couldn't even reach out. I, I just felt so guilty about it." And then with econ, I just loved econ because one is, I have a cousin. He's my first cousin is a genius, and at the age of seventeen, he was giving lectures um, all over the world on economics. And I got to spend time with him even before I got to college. And he would just tell me about all the things he was working on. I found it so cool. So I actually never went to class in college for econ and I passed everything just because I had this genius first cousin who was helping me out. And um, we both work in similar professions today. Today, he's the VP of marketing for an agency. And, you know, I own it. So it's, it's funny how that works.
0: That's so cool. I, I, it's funny how econ and just also huge like data sets you work with, with econ, and all that stuff I noticed like uh, from your past interviews that automation is a big part of you feel like it's a big skill set can you talk about like critical skills or pieces that you think is important in doing growth
1: yeah I like to say that always automating your intros is very important you don't need personalized intros um, it's sort of like and a great way that you can see an example of it is how I actually started it is I sent mm. 50 thousand cold emails to high profile people to join right and it's really personalized but you know people are joining a community they didn't have to opt in or anything and that got me up to around six or seven thousand members wow and when i look at that i'm like wow that's how i got started (laughs) i sent fifty thousand cold emails right um and granted i did it through like batching them, using a couple pieces of software like Mailshake and this, right. having a bunch of uh, Gmail accounts, and then people are like, "Wow, you run this huge online community!" And of course, tons of opportunities come out of that. And I, it was hilarious. I was like, "Wow, why don't other people do this?" And now I also do the same thing with we have tools that auto add people on Facebook to your Facebook profile at a really high level. So if you want to connect with founders of Series B companies in fintech you can do that at scale. We just have all their Facebook URLs and you plug them in and then you just send them friend requests. It's like you might as well if you want to connect with those people, right? Yeah. And it's funny because if you go back to like natural human interaction, the first, the hardest thing to do when if you see someone across the room and you want to interact with them is the first step of actually just saying hi. After that, it's a lot easier. But that first step is yeah. hard. So if you just automate that so you don't even have to worry about it, it makes your life way easier. <laughs>
0: How long did it take you to send that 50,000 cold emails?
1: Oh man, around like 4 months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. That's like real like hustle hustle style. Like you you got like you sound like a real hustler with that.
1: Yeah. I just thought, saw that I was converting really well and I had heard from some talk that I had went to that this guy said, you know, startup life most things and almost everything will not work out. There's going to be like things that do. And when you find something that does, you better triple down on it because you're going to miss a huge opportunity. So I sent out, you know, 100 cold emails the first try. And I was like, wow, people actually joined the group. And then I was like, wait one second. And I thought about what this guy said. And I said, I got tripled down on this. Like, I got a quadruple down. <laughs> this one, like-
0: That's so funny. What, what did that email a copy look like? It's like, hey, I'm
1: Josh. I'm starting this group. Yeah. So I would say one of the triggers that really pulled people in was having credible admins of the group. So at the time, I had one of the VCs. because so I was working on a VC firm and he was actually the VC who started uh, what became match.com. And then I had a couple other credible people. We had this social media influencer with over 1.2 million followers. They never produced any content in the group. They never did. <laughs> but because they were admins... And I could use that in the copy. I was like, you're invited to this exclusive community. And these are the people who run it. And they would love to see you in there, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's, it's like a FOMO. It's a big part of fear of missing out, right? Like you actually pulled on there, that string. A
1: hundred percent.
0: Talking about opportunities, you actually got a chance to meet Mark Zuckerberg. Like, tell me about that. Like, how did that happen? I saw your picture. Well, obviously your LinkedIn po- photo is in the background is with him, like wow, this guy knows Mark. He must be cool.
1: <laughs> it's a funny story because it actually came from the Facebook group. We were voted as one of the top Facebook groups and we got invited to their community summit where they changed their whole mission of you know, the company. And I was like, wow, this is a big deal. And when we were there, they had tons of workshops to help all these admins of these Facebook groups become better leaders. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't need these workshops You know, I I haven't figured out. I don't want to listen to an employee about how to become a leader. You know, I'll take advice from other leaders. And Mm -hmm. so I stayed outside and just started working on some projects. And then Mark just came up to me, and it's because he he's not going to attend the workshops, right? So he's going to hang outside too. I just happen to be the only person outside as well, right? So he's like, "Hey, like, what are you guys doing?" I turn around. And I like almost had a heart attack. I was like, oh my God, this is the most powerful person in the world talking to me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and the first thing I said, you know, I kid you not, is you can't do that to me, bro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was oh my goodness! will <laughs> be there, Mark. Uh, so funny. That's awesome. Out of your brand building, I, I feel like you're really building a great personal brand. Is, um, you you talked at StartCon Man, it was so good. You were talking about how you turned $2,000 of community and generating $400,000 in revenue. I feel like a lot of startups overlook community as like a, a good growth
1: driver. Well, what's your insights and like tactics you use to, to achieve that result? The reason most startups actually overlook community is because it's so hard to create. It's a route mm-hmm. that nobody wants to take because to keep the community active, you have to give them content every day. And who wants to produce content every right. day? Not just like you know BS content, like five tips to do X. You produce really good content, and Mm -hmm. I needed a way out to become like an entrepreneur. And all I could think about was, well, I don't have any money, and this way is free, but it's also the the hardest way that there is. Let's just do it and see what happens. And I stuck it out for long enough, and then I wasn't used to sales. I had been a technical marketer for most of my, my life. All, all I knew is that these people were high-level marketing executives and founders. And that translated that they probably use marketing automation software. So when I first started selling in there, I was so scared that I offered so much value in exchange. I said, here's my entire drive of 100-plus growth hacks if you try out this free trial." right? That's how nervous I was to sell. I gave everything away. <laughs> and, and through that, we had, I think, close to... 400 trials, maybe more. And because it was such target personas and they had built so much trust with us, a number of them just turned to customers. And I was like, wow, that just happened. And you're talking about market automation software. So they're switching over from HubSpot or whatever it is to now use our software. That's a huge switch. But they had trusted me as this authority and they're willing to take my advice. So that's why they did it. And I also love the product at the time, like autopilot. Still today, I think it's one of the best marketing automation products. So I didn't feel bad selling it. I was like, "Wow, this is great! Like, people should use it."
0: Nice. No, that's that's awesome. I think I think you made a really good insight there. Like, it's it does take a hard like, it does take the right kind of strategy to produce the right content. What what would be like good content for for you? Like, I'm looking at the the Beth media, and you're producing really good content, and people are actually
1: uploading like and starting conversations there like how do you get that community aspect started 100 percent. so you have to just post every single day until people know you as that like guy that posts every day just through consistency you can create a brand but the whole other side of it is you have to look at how you can be better than other communities that already exist right and at the time there's weren't any Facebook groups around growth markers. Now there's like 20, right? And a lot of them came into existence because they saw it was possible through mine, right? And my barrier to entry to becoming better than all these people was literally zero because I didn't have any competition. I just had to be better than whatever was out there. And because there was nothing, I was already the best. And right. people could overlook that. It's same with, you know, I publish a lot of content in the newsfeed on LinkedIn. And people said, why do your content, why does it get so yeah. much engagement? And I said, "Well, look what else is in the newsfeed." And it's like event post, check out my blog post, whatever it is. Of course, I'm going to get engagement. It's so much better than that stuff.
0: <laughs> I know, right? That's so true. You're getting like a ton of engagement in terms of your LinkedIn posts. How do you think of ideas to post up? It seems very personal. It seems like life lessons. Like it seems like Josh. You know, it's you. Like, how do you think of stuff? Do you think of it like a month ahead, or like think about your life experiences? Oh man, it's usually the
1: day of. Yeah, I try I wish I had it planned out a month ahead. That would make my life so much easier, to be honest. <laughs> the best way that I do it is I try to take something that happened in my past and find it some an example of something that I haven't talked about. So maybe it's a moment of vulnerability where I got fired or or let go, or maybe even like promoted, whatever it is, I talk about that in such detail to where people can feel like they're there. And that's the most important part because if people can't feel like they're there with you, then they don't have emotion attached towards that piece. And that's why people reach out to me. and They're like, Hey, I do these spaced out lines, but I'm not getting any engagement. I said, it's not about those spaced out lines. Like that's such a small part of it. It's like, you have to make people feel like they're there right next to you.
0: Nice. I think I've heard it two or three times already. You mentioned about emotion. Like, is is that a big thing for you as a marketer? Like really like playing up to the emotion
1: of who you're trying to target? hundred percent It's one of the reasons I love the Facebook group and I didn't focus on my email list. And I'll give you an example because let's say I had a hundred thousand people on my email list and let and you're in the Facebook group. Now, if you're going to go talk to somebody else and tell them about my credibility, what are you going to mention? You're going to mention the Facebook group because you have no idea how many people are on my email list, right? Unless I say it all the time, I have 100,000 people, I have 100,000, but I'm not going to do that. So when people build email lists and all these assets are sort of invisible with credibility, it doesn't spread, right? Right. you be seen by other people. So by them having that number there, there's actually like credibility, there's emotion and you get a lot of opportunities out of that. I think get more opportunities from a 60,000 person Facebook group than a 50,000 person email.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, that's so true. It's about like really understanding who you're targeting. Now I know um, process is also a very big thing for for growth marketers. Can you describe like the process that you use to figure out like what the next growth thing is maybe for clients or for yourself or anything like that?
1: One of the things that I learned early on is that there's a growth framework. That's called ICE, investment cost, expected result. Mm -hmm. And I always laughed at it. I was like, well, that's really cool, but it's missing the most important metric, which is happiness, right? So something could be really easy for you to get a huge result, but if you if it doesn't make you happy, you're gonna get burned out. And on a long enough scale, most startups will become successful if they stick with it and keep pivoting, right? What happens is the founders burn out, they burn through all their investor money and they just give up. And 99 out of 100 times, it's because they're doing stuff that they don't actually enjoy. So when I look at my growth framework, I always just put in this happiness variable and say, does this even make me happy? Because if it does, then I'm much better doing that because not only will my happiness translate to my employees being happy, but even just being able to sell to my prospects and producing better content. So people will always sacrifice that to just get like the result. Makes no sense. <laughs> no, that's so true. I think
0: it's funny because like that's... I, I was talking to somebody about like, I look for three things in people. Humble people, hungry people, and then happy people. Like, because like startup life, it's very stressful, right? And I think happiness is, is like, if you're not happy, then it's not worth doing that, right?
1: hundred percent. And most people aren't happy in startup life. It's because they choose an idea before they choose people. So what I've realized is that... If you work with people you enjoy, then like ideals will naturally come to you that you could pursue with them. But if you start with the idea and you try to find people that fit the idea, you'll lose because what ends up happening is you're working next to people you don't even like, you know. And you're doing that 12 to 14 hours every day for like years. That's rough. Like, who would want to do that? But that's how most uh, startup entrepreneurs think about things, and that's why they fail. Is because everything comes down to a people business.
0: That's so true. I want to talk about your process for your clients for a MAP. Maybe can you talk a little bit about you know, the badass marketing, the company that you started with the media? Uh, what, what is it about, what, what services do you offer and what kind of
1: companies do you work with? Yeah, that's a great question. So we work primarily with companies that value community because it's an easier sell for us. And we work with everybody from Founders Foundation. They want to become like the Y Combinator of Germany. Uh, to Girl Crew, which is one of the largest women organizations. We also work with some e-commerce companies, uh, one that's called Factory. Uh, And then we work with some community uh, mobile apps as well. And I mean, it's really exciting because who you are will attract your clients, right? And that to me was like this big aha moment. I was like, why do these people want to work with us? And it was always because we love your mission. We love like how you guys do things. And that means that we're going to attract more community-based people. Now, because we have a larger LinkedIn presence, now we're attracting more software companies. So mm-hmm. what you do internally is always going to reflect who your clientele is. And most people forget that, right? If you have a big Instagram account as an agency, you'll probably attract more e-commerce companies. And that's actually one of the things we're planning on doing next, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. All over the place for the most part. but there's one string that attaches most of them to us and that is community. Nice. You know, that really makes sense. Well,
0: what's your process? Let's say I'm a, a software company uh, and I become your client. Well, what would be your growth process for like building out the community for, let's say, um, a software company selling to mar- marketers, right? <laughs> How would you go about like building out the next steps?
1: So we don't build communities for companies. What we do is, unless they have already a community and they're community-based first. So if we go and they say, we want 15,000 people in a Facebook group, that's what. and we actually tried this before and it was a horrible fail on our part, What we didn't realize is all they're looking for is sales at the end of the day, but you don't build a Facebook group because right. it, you build it because you generally care about the people you're selling to and like the people right. like in the industry, right? It has nothing to do with like, you don't think about sales when you do it. You're like, how can I provide the value over and again. You think about sales first, you'll always lose when it comes to building communities. Wow. Yeah, we never we tried it for a company and just went downhill very quickly. So we don't do that anymore. Um but for software companies if we were to take them through a normal process, uh it's usually we're doing growth strategy and B2B growth hacking. So that includes sending out very personalized emails to people. Uh, We have a team of writers that personalize all of our emails for B2B outreach. We put in a sequence we also have a lot of internal LinkedIn automation tools that we use for them. And growth strategy is really about understanding their target audience, doing branding, mm-hmm. investing decks, as well as like a lot of in-depth analytics, Google Analytics, Mixed panel, whatever they may be using. And then sometimes we actually add them to our LinkedIn influencer program too, which is awesome. The LinkedIn influencer program is where we have writers write these people's content, do automation from their profiles, and make them look like thought leaders. Uh, and they actually drive a lot of leads doing that, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
0: That's funny because like that's what you're doing for your with your media company. Like you become almost a uh, an influencer. Well, you are an influencer now, like nowadays with all the engagement you're getting. How about for like a B two C? Let's say a B two C e commerce company comes to you. Like, hey, um, I need help building a community or some kind of like engagement, and they understand like you know they're not really driving sales through the community. How, what would be the process that would look like? Would it look differently for,
1: for B2B clients? So one of the hardest things about B2C clients is they tend to have multiple verticals, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say they're selling to women and men, right? And different like fashion accessories. It becomes a serious problem. Like it's a whole complex beast at that point. And some, one of our clients has like 20 different verticals. And if we build a community for just one vertical, it doesn't really make that much sense. You know, so... We build it for all twenty. Of course not. Like that's way too much to handle. So we don't focus on the community aspect for them. Um, when it comes to e-commerce, it's mostly comes out of paid acquisition, uh, whether that be Facebook, Instagram, and also depends maybe some Google AdWords too, depending on the products. So that's usually how we go about it, and it's what scales the most. Uh, and e-commerce companies are just an entirely different beast to take on. One of the things that's really important. With them is also CRO, so just optimizing their website. Because if you can optimize one vertical, it will usually transfer over to other verticals that they have, right? If they have, let's say they have five hundred products, nice. you can optimize one product page, and that difference may actually transfer over to the next five hundred product pages, right? So keeping that in mind, it's like hyper local marketing. You do one thing for one city, it transfers over to another city.
0: Nice, that makes sense. What does your uh, CRO process look like? Then do you uh, do some user research, you, you try to understand the target audience, and then you translate that into copy or design. I know you, you said you did copywriting, which is fascinating because I feel like that's a super important skill that a lot of marketers might be missing. So what does your, your CRO process look like?
1: So the first thing that we always do is understanding their branding and messaging because something may convert better, but if it doesn't stick with their brand, they may hate you for it. So we have to understand that part and we've come across that a lot like there's definitely a lot of hesitation whenever you do something that's off brand so we make sure we understand that part and then we do a lot of user research like how they're interacting with their site whether that be heat mapping using tools like hotjar and then from there we dive into just like their google analytics and see like where are people going what are they clicking on what are the referral sources and all that good stuff and then we can start making recommendations
0: cool that makes sense
1: you also like to look at stuff like how high is their bounce rate? Where are they getting traffic? Why are their pages not ranking? For example, uh, they could be, see a really high bounce rate, but they're, it's because they're driving people straight to a landing page, right? Where people put in their email immediately. And then they're taking that into overall consideration of their site, but not actually excluding those variables because they are just landing pages. Right?
0: No, that definitely, no, that makes sense. I think they are just landing pages. I want to talk about the future. What does your plans for 2018 look like? I know we only have, what, six, six seven weeks left of the year. Like what, where's Josh going in 2018 and where, did, where is your community and your agency going?
1: We are looking to expand. Uh, we are getting a new office next month. It's actually going to be four times bigger than the office we have right now, which is, it's really exciting, but also a little nerve wracking, as you can imagine. Um, as a young entrepreneur, you're like, wow, this is really happening. <laughs> And we're also looking to up our Instagram presence. So we have some ideas in play. And one of the things that we've noticed is that the content on Instagram, for the most part, is actually horrible. Nobody realizes that. So, for example, if you look back two years ago at Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook, you'd say, man, that content's horrible, right? That's what you would think. But nobody thinks about that in the present right? But two years from now, you're going to be, wow, I can't believe like, we were watching that on TV. I can't believe we we're looking at that on Instagram. Because the content is going to be so much better. And it's understanding what that content's going to look like a year from now, or two years from now. So if you have a good grasp of that, also, you're like, wow, there's a huge play here. that market's not saturated at all. It's actually just waiting for someone to come in and just innovate with far better content. And we have a lot of ideas to do that. We just have to make it happen.
0: Nice. And that office you're opening up—are you opening up uh, in the East Coast, or are you're gonna try to do like coast-to-coast uh, offices, oh, or so, would it be
1: still? In- so it's still close to where we're at right now. It's in Marina del Rey, which is right next to Venice in LA, and it's another beautiful part of LA. I can't really complain. Like I would love to stay here for—I don't say the rest of my life, but definitely for a good part of it. It's—I've never seen anything quite like it where you have the beach, you have like beautiful people, you have talent. And especially in the marketing world, it was extremely hard to find good marketing talent up in San Francisco. And part of that Mm. is product-focused. And when I moved Mm. down to LA, I found all these marketing experts immediately. So it is a great place to build an agency, to say the least.
0: I'd like to uh, wrap up with last two questions. Uh, first of all, what kind of advice would you give to anybody who's trying to get to both marketing or trying to get to where Josh is? Like, what would your advice be to, to them?
1: So if you're trying to be a leader in a niche, one of the things you have to realize is that if you always follow other leaders, you'll actually never become a leader. You'll always be one step behind, right? So I don't follow anybody. I don't look into anybody else's Facebook group. I just think about stuff that I would enjoy and what would be better than what's on a platform. I'm like, what's better than what I'm seeing right now on LinkedIn? Or what's Mm -hmm. better than what I'm seeing right now on Instagram? And then I just go try it out, right? I'm not that unique of an individual. All I decided to do was not follow anybody else. And that, in turn, made me a leader, which I think is hilarious. But if you think about it, it makes perfect sense though. And I think that's where most people don't see the results that they want because they're following other people. Um, and they're like, how come I'm not a leader? I'm like, well, you're following them. You're always going to be one step behind. You know, go out and innovate. Um, be the first person to take that step. You know, don't look to the person in front of you to do it. If you're the first person to do it, then people are going to follow you.
0: That's so true. And actually, that's a really great advice. You know, to be a leader, sometimes you have to step outside of the pack. I guess the last thing I want to ask is where can we find you? Do you have any shout outs, Uh, maybe your website or blog or LinkedIn? Like what do you, what do you want people to do listeners to to do once they get this episode?
1: Yeah. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Make sure to send it as a personalized invite uh, and say where you found obviously this podcast and then I'll add you back. Um, Feel free to join the Facebook group, Badass Marketers and Founders. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And I'm a very friendly guy. So if you reach out, the chances are I will respond. Um, obviously, I write a lot of content, so my responses tend to be much faster than other people.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Josh, for just jumping on growth marketing today. Uh, I'd like to thank you once again. Have
1: an amazing day. Thank you, man. Cheers.
0: Well, thanks for listening into to this episode. I think Josh is right. The reason why most startups overlook community as a growth driver is because it's so hard to create. But he said one of the best ways to grow that opportunity is to give away content and help other people trust you. What do you think? If you want a high level outline and quotes from this episode, you can go to growthmarketing.today 016. And it is the 16th episode of growth marketing today. We've been on the air for four months now. Now, if you really enjoyed it and you're actually getting value out of this, I really would appreciate a five-star rating from Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, whether that's Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else. Other than that, you can also sign up for our Insider Club community at Growth Marketing Today to get latest news. And because of this episode, I'm thinking of starting my own Facebook group. If you haven't already know about that, you can check out our our stuff online on growthmarketing.today. If you have any feedback or questions, love to hear from you send me a short email at ramley at growth marketing today other than that this is ramley and keep on growing